0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Richard and Dr. Ed Show. Before we get started with all the epic knowledge, Mr. Ed has some information for you guys.
1: Yes, hello, everybody. Just want you to remember that the information provided in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Always consult a qualified healthcare professional before trying out any recommendation you hear on our show. Just remember, if you have an acute or an emergency medical situation, then you should call the right number 911 or whatever your number is. One of the hosts, i.e. me, is a medical doctor, but I'm just here to share my knowledge and experience and not to diagnose or treat any condition over the microphone. But I do recommend taking your vitamins and drinking plenty of water.
0: And remember to be kind to yourself and fucking enjoy life.
1: So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. We are back.
0: This time, you look like guests. you've slept. Yeah. I got, I don't know. I, that's an understatement. <laughs> I'm up to an average of five hours and 20 minutes. That's
1: probably as much as I am these days.
0: But it's, um, I'm up to five hours and 20 minutes. But my deep sleep is at three hours, and I have an hour of REM.
1: I mean, that's pretty good. Quality.
0: Yeah. Well, because I'm exhausted by the end of the
1: dude. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a conversation with somebody to go off on another tangent. Um, I was being kind to my work colleagues and I was going around with uh, with ice lollies. Nice. And um one said, No, I'm not doing cold at the moment. And I was like, Oh, that's I've never heard that one before. It's interesting.
0: Like Ayurveda.
1: Yeah, well, big on, on um, Chinese medicine. As in, they cool. they don't have a normal doctor; they have a Chinese medicine doctor. <laughs> um, and it got me thinking: like, there's so many ways to approach healing and health. Yeah, um, which is kind of where we found a niche. Um, and I suppose we both came to that niche through initially starting with physical pain. Right. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was. It I think it we came to the niche because we were frustrated by a system that failed us. <laughs> right. I mean, I sought out every type of methodology to get out of my hip pain and my back pain, um, and my forearm pain, and you know, ranging from massage therapists, and and mind you, they all had their I learned a lesson from each one of them so and it, it it added to my tool belt because it got me interested as the as the discomfort started to go away um but yeah I think I think the 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 niche 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 market always comes from your own experiences and kind of what you're going through and so yeah. my niche market was you know just frustration of the system failing me the symptoms were, you know, pain and discomfort to my back. It would take me 45 minutes to get out of bed. Um, wanting to do more than just being average and sedentary and boring in life. And just not wanting to be a victim of, of the pain and discomfort that I suffered. And so I think you have a similar story, if I'm not wrong.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I developed right-sided back pain when I started medical school or actually when I started going to medical placement so when I was in hospital watching what was going on I didn't know at that time that it was my frustration at the outside environment that was triggering my right-sided lower back pain um, and not being able to express that or at least that's my perception of what caused that there was no injury per se to my back right there were movement patterns over time but it got really bad um and then i i was so interested in pain i ended up going to do a little placement at a chronic pain clinic and the chronic pain consultant told me well if it's been there for longer than six months you'll have it for the rest of your life so that's that's somebody who gets paid like 600 pounds an hour to do private work in chronic pain and that's their view so it really depends who you go to is what answers you're going to get and what outcomes you're going to have i suppose i think right. it's pain is an interesting topic because there's so many facets to it you can see it through so many lenses
0: yeah
1: um from the nervous system perspective we have i mean it's so in medicine i don't know if you were offered that you, you must've been given pain medication when you had your accident and after it, but I know you didn't use it so much.
0: Yeah. So right after the accident, um, I mean, they were giving me, I would say like close to lethal doses. Yeah. <laughs> I was taking anything and everything I could. Um, they gave me a super strong opioid that made me have just the worst trip. And so from that point, I was like, I'll try and find other ways Um, which was interesting. My brother had similar issues. He had back pain from playing tennis. Um, and he actually went to Mexico and studied Reiki, um, and did that type of energy work. And he's extremely heavy science-based kind of person. Um, and it worked for him and he became a practitioner and he was at my side after my rock climbing accident. And that was actually, I would say more powerful than the pain medications. Hmm. And I don't, I don't remember much of what he did. Um, I remember laying in the hospital bed and him having me breathe and you know, visualize. I remember it was like visualize an eagle and you're an eagle flying above. And you had like this overview, and, and it was interesting because it, it's it was, you know, something that felt more powerful than the you know, gnarliest pain medications that they were trying to give me at the at the hospital. Um but, yeah, once I started to learn to walk and everything, um, I had, you know, the capacity to get into Oxy, oxy-cotton and Xanax yeah. and all that. But, nah, I was just like, nah, I don't need it.
1: And at one point you got um, moxibustion, the, like, charcoal.
0: Yeah, those things are awesome. Those was, were epic. That, was that
1: early on or later on?
0: Um, yeah, so that came from my acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. Um, which I came across her from the stand-up paddling community and it was a friend of a friend and we made contact and she was, I mean, she really helped me out because that was at the time where I was like going balls deep into CrossFit and wanting to open up my own place and a trying to say fuck you to the doctor that told me that I shouldn't do anything for the rest of my life. Um, so I was training really hard, but I was having like crazy back spasms and knee spasms and everything was hurting. Um, but you know, the will to, to push forward is, is big. Uh, and she came up and she started doing the acupuncture work and she suggested the moxa sticks and gave me a couple. She would give me a couple every time she'd come see me. And I mean, that was, oh, that was a game changer for, for joint pain and for my hip. Um, it, it released just so much. And for people who don't know what it is, like a think of like a thick straw made out of charcoal, and you light on one side, and then you put it like you know three centimeters to five centimeters from the skin, and then if you really want to have a good time, you have somebody blow on the other side of it. So just like basically just does like gnarly amounts of heat into the body, and it kind of goes into the the muscles and the fascia and everything. It just kind of creates massive amount of blood flows. Would be my
1: yeah my understanding. But we, it- We obviously, I mean, I talk a lot about light and it's essentially a source of red and infrared light um, Mm -hmm. directly targeted. So it's an an early form of like a local red light therapy or sauna therapy or heat therapy, which is going to allow the mitochondria to produce energy more efficiently, which will then draw oxygen to it and which will then create blood flow to the area. So it's a super cool idea. In conventional medicine, we have various medications that we aim at pain and they're mostly uh licensed for acute pain so we got things like paracetamol which would be uh i acetophen or whatever you guys call it in in the u.s um acetaminophen Always get it the wrong way i don't around. think so paracetamol
0: um, th- everybody <clears throat> understands paracetamol i think
1: yeah and then it always astounds me like they don't know how it works like there's no very specific mechanism that paracetamol works on but we do know that it depletes glutathione. So, eventually, taking it for a long period of time is not going to be that great for your liver. And taking a lot of it very quickly is obviously not good for your liver. Um, people do that when they get upset. Yeah. Um, so, we have medications that are just for pain, in inverted commas, which kind of you would think about your normal opiates. And then there's there's medications for inflammation, which are like your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, right. which try to deal with the inflammation side. But we know that the inflammation is kind of important for the healing process too. So whether the use of those is good or not remains to be seen. We know that they can cause um, cardiovascular issues and some of them have been taken off the market because they cause heart attacks and deaths and that kind of thing. And then we have the... Um I always laugh because these medications are designed for neuropathic pain, i.e. pain related to nerves. So the first set of drugs don't work on neuropathic pain. Okay. Which is interesting because, in theory, all so the, pain comes from the nerve, eventually. So the
0: first set of medications, so paracetamol works on taking away the inflammation?
1: So, and there's some... um Theories that they might work similarly to the, the anti inflammatories and they influence the Cox pathways, which again, they're involved in the anti inflammatories, but there's no one mechanism by which they're supposedly supposed to work. Okay. Um, but again, opiates can worsen neuropathic pain. And, and it goes to show like you're not supposed to use pain medications chronically because your body's sending you a signal. And the idea is that you respond to the signal by changing something. So if you keep blunting the signal by taking the signal away by taking medication, over time you need more medication and eventually you need so much medication that that signal is just going to get louder and louder and louder, which is what the issue with chronic pain and addiction to pain medications leads to, which is unfortunate. And that's hopefully a lot of the work that we do is aimed at breaking that cycle of needing medications in the first place because there's a realization that at least from a movement perspective, it's the way that you're moving that's causing the pain. It's not the pain itself.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then of course, where did the cortisone shots and all of that come into play? I have an assessment coming up in a couple of weeks with a guy that's gotten, he was about to take his fourth cortisone shot. He was like, this isn't right. (laughs) The doctor promised yeah. me after two, I'd be good to go. And now he's on his fourth. So I was like, yeah, maybe <laughs> changing there's, directions
1: might be good. <laughs> I mean, there's some, there's, um, I mean, so in a lot of studies they use, if there's an injection or a, a procedure involved, there's, they have this thing called the placebo sham. So oh, there's God. studies where, for example, if you damage your knee meniscus, um, they do things like they go in and trim the meniscus off. If you just put somebody to sleep, but don't actually do the operation on the knee, you pretend to and wake them up, they get the same outcomes as if you actually go in and do the trimming of the meniscus. So I think part of the benefit of having these shots into joints is actually you're sticking a needle into the joint, which promotes blood flow to it through healing. Right. And then there can be some benefits there. I don't think chronically using steroids in a joint is helpful because steroids we know long-term use of steroids causes osteoporosis so it directly impairs bone healing okay so if you're giving it to a joint you can liquefy it eventually i think
0: essentially just making it lazy right like why should i function when i have this super yeah. fluid coming in
1: you should i mean your body should deal that's, that's with a, the issue in a yeah, way that it I, knows if you just disrupt that then and...
0: my body just my body's just visualizing it my mind's visualizing it as a cartoon sorry Uh (laughs) uh-huh just the joy of being like i'm lazy guys i'm out
1: (laughs) i mean there might be some cases where it's helpful if there's a really really nasty inflammation that just won't settle and maybe it can trigger that but to use it multiple times without it helping then obviously that's not the solution
0: right
1: um and i wanted to get into so the nervous system carries pain signals up the spinal cord in what is known as the spinothalamic tract. So it goes from the spine to the thalamus, which is this thing that takes in all of our sensations. But that tract um, has various destinations. So the, the tract I mentioned to the thalamus tells you kind of where the pain is. And interestingly, it also carries thermal stimuli. So that might also be a reason why your moxibustion can work to break the cycle because you're replacing okay. pain with heat
0: with heat right
1: and it just gives your body something that's like oh, okay so maybe it's not still in pain
0: yeah because in order to change that perception you need heat race and blood pressure and something else right and intensity
1: discomfort just, yeah intensity discomfort. <clears throat> and that goes into the other two so the 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 system also feeds up to the reticular formation which changes your level of alertness and arousal so like when you hurt yourself you 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 want that response to come right. um so you're like oh what's going on and then you you can make a decision to run or hide or attack or or move and then the other one is um actually feeds directly into the head and the eyes so that's okay. something you probably um, are more familiar with than i am because the eyes and the face is something that you're constantly watching when you're working with somebody in pain yeah uh, and you It gives you a window into what the nervous system is feeling, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I mean, now that you say all this, it kind of goes into how I start to intuitively coach. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because essentially what I'm doing is I'm creating heat in the area, right? By forcing muscles to activate and move and create blood flow in the area, which then sends the signals up. And there's a unconscious facial expression that you make automatically based on how you're perceiving that intensity. And that's when I know if I should keep pushing the person forward, bringing them back, making sure that they're present, understanding if they want to basically play dead, right? So are they fleeing the problem? Are they playing dead from the problem? Are they attacking the problem? Or are they actually starting to find comfort in that, in that discomfort, which then allows us to change the belief system or the perception of what that intensity is?
1: Exactly. And um- What's interesting is the, <clears throat> the second one, so the the reticular formation, the one that controls arousal, also receives input from motor control, cardiovascular control, sleep, consciousness, and also controls habituation. So these people that, like, I always remember you in assessments where they kind of say, oh, yeah, it's just like a chronic, like, four out of ten yeah you're always like well it's it's become a four out of ten but when it started it was like a ten or worse and you've just like got used to waking up with that pain day in and day out and now it's become something that you can tolerate but it's still there screaming at you in the background
0: right yeah and that's a i mean those cycles right it's a the habituation aspect of it is when I feel like I've noticed that when the, it's become normal to have back pain until it's not, and you start to actually get into the, I'm frustrated at at the system, I'm frustrated at myself or not. I'm. I feel that there's two options, right? You become the victim that needs to constantly prove that they have the issue that nobody can solve. And I know we've said this, which again becomes that habit, or you start to get frustrated and that frustration comes once the habitual pain starts to become higher than a three or a four because when people are like at a two like it's just it's normal pain i can deal with it it's not a big deal so the the discomfort the intensity the pain whatever word you want to put to it needs to be higher than like a three or a four on a daily basis for somebody to actually want to because that's a point where it's like it's just uncomfortable nonstop. you can't just like a, like a level two point of discomfort, like my arm here, like if I don't pay attention to it, it's constantly numb because I have some nerve damage. So all of this is like, a, I always explain, like if you sit in the toilet and if you guys aren't watching the video, like my pinky and my, I don't know what the other finger next to the pinky is, but ring finger, f- the ring finger, there we go. So <laughs> these two fingers going down all the way into the ulnar and the forearm flexors are constantly numb. Like when you sit in the toilet for too long and your leg has pins and needles. But it's been 15 years like that. So I've habituated I've just disregarded it because it's at a one and a half to two of discomfort on a regular basis. But when you start to go into like a four or a five, I mean, that's like just constant discomfort. And so I think that that's when the frustration comes to want to find a change.
1: Exactly. So from, from my perspective, uh, we have these, the bottom up signals. We also have yeah. the top-down signals, and kind of the gate between those two is the autonomic nervous, nervous system, so your, your balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, or the state you're in, i.e. flow, fight, flight, freeze. So when we approach pain with kind of a long-term view, it's about can we change the state and that can be in the nervous system in the autonomic nervous system in the cell where the actual danger was sensed initially. So that that kind of brings in these ideas of energy um, and the cell danger response. Essentially, can we reverse the changes that have now happened at the molecular level, at the biochemical level in order to protect you and not waste too much energy dealing with the stressor. And then also, can we change the environment and the belief system? Because, as you said, you, you become the person who's in pain, and then you begin to tell the story to yourself, but also to the people around you, and you live your life in a way where your environment around you reinforces the narrative that you are the person with pain. pain. Right. So we have to change the inside of you, we have to change the outside of you, and then we can start to change how you feel. But I think the first the first step, I mean, we, we spoke to Russ in the last episode and you, and you worked with some clients recently is with that initial trust, which can either be there already or you can build it by making that radical switch during a session. And then it's like, okay, like it, it wasn't, it's not a constant thing. It's the state that I'm in and the environment that I'm in and that's changed. And now I know that it can it's not me it, it's an external thing
0: right or yeah internal thing. and and that's the you know again i i feel like i say this a whole lot but having a false sense of safety comes through these passive applications of getting rid of the pain or discomfort because you're not changing anything you're sending false signals of safety to the body which then make you feel that you are safer when you are not. So, you know, if you have a cortisone shot to get rid of your discomfort, but you don't start to become more active, if you don't start, you know, we take away the pain, cool. If there's not a plan after taking away the pain, no habits are going to change. So therefore, why should the pain not come back? There's no easy fix in that scenario. And so that's why it requires a lot of work, whether it's you know, not weather, I mean, it requires a change of environment internally, which the doctor does by giving you the shot or, you know, the passive therapy, massage, acupuncture, all of this, but then it requires a change of your external environment so it can match your internal environment, which means you should be getting stronger, which means that you should be doing more activities, which means you should be changing your movement patterns if you're somebody that goes to the gym constantly. You know what I mean? Like all of these things need to start to change So then it can all match up when you go back to your regular base. Because at the end of the day, when you do get medication or any of, even if you go in and they shave off a herniation or, you know, or a bulge or they're fixing or they're fusing a disc, it's still only treating the symptom. If you go back to doing exactly what you were doing before, how do you not expect to come back to the same problems?
1: Right. And that, that concept of your thoughts, habits and beliefs and behaviors they create your personality and your personality creates your personal reality which in turn feeds your habits behaviors and thoughts um so yeah it's uh what what we do is um through a proper assessment we give you the the low-hanging fruits or the tools to change yeah it's up to you if you want to change
0: well, always, right? I mean, it's i <laughs> I'm not a magic, I'm not a, a, a magic shaman. You know what I mean? Like it requires work on, on both parties and a lot of dedication, but the, the changing factor is so simple, you know, it's, I have, but not easy. Not, well, no, no, it's not easy because you need to be there presently. Right. And so I have people that are, that, have discomfort don't have the money or the time or this or that to want to make the change i give them the tools for free and they still don't do it so if if there's not a true want for change then you can't expect better results
1: yeah i'm I'm starting to be very conscious about um being clear with the person that there needs to be a, a clear intention of what they want
0: 100
1: percent and that i stole this from joe Dispenza. but the clear intention with an elevated emotion so that's why i think movement of the way you, that you coach it is very helpful as a tool because you can change very quickly because you can allow it to elevate your emotion it can either be like a strong aggressive response or it can be a very joyful response or it can be a mixture of both right. in some cases or somewhere in between yeah. or um all around the the spectrum um but yeah if it's, it's um there's not I, I think that's the issue that's come from here's a medication which when somebody's in a lot of pain very useful but when they're using it as a crutch to not do anything about the reason that they're in pain then the issues come
0: right yeah and it's uh you know I can always tell who's really invested into making the change, not by how much they're paying me, but by following directions. Yeah. Because what I ask of you is not easy. It's simple. But you know, for example, I have a, a client with, with back pain, and I said, do Russian twists, but don't go to your mid-back, right? I give the breathing cues, I give everything that they need, and I send them a 10 and a half minute video. They don't watch the video i know because i do unlisted and i send it only to them so nobody else has seen the video it has zero views and they say they're doing the exercise zero views and then i check up on them two weeks later. So how's it going they're like i tried the russian twist i got no results and i was like that's interesting i haven't seen you to open up the the youtube channel <laughs> to watch the video that i spent 12 minutes recording for you so your investment is not the money, your investment is putting the time into the, the tools that I'm giving you so you can actually learn to build a better body. And so like that's the you know that's always one of my conversations is I charge a lot of money because I'm hoping that that money forces you to dedicate time to build your own toolset. You know, I'm doing that right now. I don't I know I suck at structuring things. I know that I speak like a crazy person and I maybe don't, I can't relate how I would like to for a mass population. So I hired coaches that have the proper tool set to help me grow my business. It's the same thing. I understand where I'm lacking. That's a, that's a pain point in my business and my personal life and my professional life. So I find people that are their best at it so that they can help help me grow. And so when people come to see me it's the same thing. Like I'm giving you the tools so that you can grow because once you understand what I'm teaching you, you don't need a personal trainer or a coach. I mean, you you get one because you enjoy their company or, you know what I mean? Like you enjoy the structure that they have, whatever it may be, but in reality, you know exactly what you need to do to stay healthy and to optimize your life on the physical, mental, and emotional level.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, um, we we both had mentoring, business mentoring from a similar group of people, shout out to them. Um, it's, I mean, we're offering value. So our prices are fairly high. I could argue that they should be higher because we provide yeah. value that others cannot provide. So again, uh, if people think they're paying us for their fix no we're, they're paying us for the value that we provide in giving them the tools that they need to apply right anyway
0: and every um, time we've, every time that i try to do things at a deal or x y and z the work never gets done and then it makes me look like shit that i can't provide the results which i'm not yeah. supposed to provide the results i provide the tools and the solutions you give yourself the results but it's it's still frustrating because there's still such a big time investment on on, on my part at least
1: yeah, and I, I think that if you perceive—I um, mean, some people don't agree with this—but money is energy, and that's the if you have the intention and you have the elevated emotion, which is the raised energy, which is the the money that you're putting down, then that is all like that's part of the healing process. Is I'm investing right. in this because this is my intention.
0: For sure.
1: Um. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in summary, you kind of used the words that I probably should have used right at the start, but there's physical, <laughs> chemical, mental, and emotional elements to pain. We haven't even got into the emotional causes of pain, yeah. uh, whether, whether it's for this episode or another. I don't know. That's up to you. Uh, what um, time are,
0: I do have a couple of calls I have to get on, but
1: what time is it? Quarter past 12.
0: Oh, Okay, we're good. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, the, you know, the physical pain, let's go really quickly. So the physical discomfort comes when there is a blockage or inflammation,
1: right? So or lack of energy
0: or lack of energy because of
1: imbalances and deficiencies in the cell system.
0: Right. Yeah. And so when I'm looking at the, at the body, like you know you feel the discomfort in your mid back or you feel your discomfort in your lower back or in the front of the hip the biggest thing is is look at what's inflamed and then look around it and what are the bigger structural muscles that aren't working it's yep. i mean so it for the get for the shoulder
1: simple. it'd be the, <laughs> the for the shoulder it'd be the pec major and the lats yeah and for Hips the hip would it would so be the psoas
0: and glute glute simple yep. that transverse abdominis maybe there's some different things going in there right But for the most part, if those aren't working, then you're going to have other muscles that are going to be taking over until you get to very small, very tiny muscles that send massive amounts of intensity signals to the brain that turn out to be very painful and spasms and, you know, the nerves start to start to scream quite loudly.
1: But can you give for people like, for example, they're suffering from back pain and like maybe three specific points of discomfort that you've seen or two, I don't know how many you have and, um, what might they suggest?
0: Yeah. So the first one, the kind of common one would be sciatic pain, right? So you have it right at the lumbar between L4, L5, S1, uh, that has like nerve shooting pains down to the knees or the ankles. Sometimes you have numbness going that way of, you know, you have spasms where you can barely touch your knees. XYZ. So there's a lot of discomfort coming straight centralized into the spine. What are we going to do? Go to my YouTube channel, look up the Swami session, do Swami intentfully and presently for 20 to 30 minutes and make, and you'll see that you'll have a big change in how much discomfort will be relieved from the low back. Uh, second one would be you're feeling the pain kind of either the left or the right. Uh, that's usually the iliacus doing more work than the so as major. So again, the iliopsoas muscle group, there's three of them. Psoas major, which helps you stand upright. It's one of the biggest muscles that connects the lower body and the upper body. Then you have the psoas minor, which is what helps you kind of go into crawling situations. Some humans don't have a psoas minor anymore because we don't crawl. We're not chimpanzees anymore. Um, and then you have the iliacus and it's kind of like a fan-based muscle that sits on the inside of the hip. And essentially From a practical standpoint, uh, I start to realize that when people can no longer stay standing because their psoas is weak or they're just weak because they don't exercise or do any sort of strength training, um, they start to arch their back. And as they start to arch their back, the iliacus starts to help in that stabilization of that standing or the walking. So along with that arching, you also start to see that people start to walk more like ducks uh, and they'll start to change their their torque chain pattern uh, into more of a squat than a hinge movement pattern. And so again, if you have that, you'll also start to see that the arch will start to happen more and more. And then you're going to start to go to certain physios, osteopaths, chiropractors, and they're going to start to tell you that one femur is longer than the other, which is not true. It just means that one psoas is stronger than the other. And that means that either the lumbar erector or the iliacus is overworking on that painful side.
1: Um, My recommendation in that situation is do not get them to relax or sh- lengthen or stretch your psoas with exactly. manual therapy. Exactly. That will not help.
0: It just makes it worse and worse and worse. Yeah. People. And if you're out there and you're laughing right now, it's because it's happened to you. When you massage it, you're just relaxing a muscle that's already underworked. And you're basically sending, again, false signals of safety to the body. And therefore you start to use more and more of the iliacus or the lumbar erector until it does become a structural issue. So uh, again, solution just, for that. Yeah.
1: Just to Sorry, jump no. in, the, the, there's a few people who, um, before they come for an assessment with me, they say, yeah, I just, I haven't really been stretching as much as I should, or, oh, I've started stretching and that seems to help, but it's still not where I want it to be. Like, yeah. I know that's a ticking time bomb to, okay, so we need to get some tension and mobility and strength in the psoas. Otherwise, everything's going to, come back with a vengeance.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, simple fix for that, at least to get started, go to my YouTube channel, look up Swami, do Swami for 20, 30 minutes, at least to gain awareness. And then from there, you can start to do psoas races. Again, do exercises, find exercises, go on ChatGPT GPT or go on bodybuilding.com and just look up exercises for psoas major, look up exercise for the glute max. And do the exercises only focusing on looking for those muscles, not to complete a range of motion that was dictated by whoever's teaching the exercise. So focus on the connection to those muscles and you'll see that it'll get better. I have my own tips and tricks, but that's cost extra. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right. And then you have the, the trickier ones that I've had lately is usually like groin pain in the front. kind of like what Terry was having where there's like the click happening, um, more in the front of the hip towards the groin at the, at the hinge, the, at the crease of the hip. Um, and it gets achy, it gets poppy, it gets cracking. And so this is again, going to be more than likely the, uh, starts to get overworked. It starts to send high signals and that has to go towards the emotional side. Uh, you can have a Slight tear in the groin or overuse or underuse of the groin. Um, you know, we can have certain things that are kind of happening there in the front of the hip. But again, if we can start to get a little bit of activation going to the psoas major, you're going to see so much of that discomfort go away right away. Um, and the other one that you'll start to see when you start to have those sort of issues, especially when you talk about like strength and conditioning or functional fitness is that they're gonna start to put a plate so that you could do kind of like the knees over toes guys. So you can kind of track the tibialis correctly. For me, that's a very dangerous situation because you're not strengthening the psoas. So therefore you're not building the hinge movement pattern. And all you're doing is you're sending a false sense or adding more mobility and more tension to the vastus intermedialis. That's the middle strain of the quadricep. And if you continue to push that and add load, you're gonna essentially, and I've seen it happen now a few times, where you'll either get a patella tear or you'll get the vastus medialis tear completely from the origin because it's so tight. What, what, what
1: exercise are you talking about?
0: Um, when they start, when you can't have, like when people are wanting to get you to squat below depth. Oh, so crease well, like they, under the heels. Yeah, so they'll put like a plate underneath the heels. And they'll, they'll do like the, the, they'll let the knees track over the toes. They're essentially leveraging their body better without having the capacity to create better tension in the right muscles. All right. So the reason that you're not getting the depth is because you have a tightness of either hamstrings or usually uh, the vastus uh, intermedialis. And so when you start to change the leverages, all you're doing is you're allowing more load to the improper muscles. So if you push that long enough, the discomfort will end up coming back or it'll shift to the lower back. Um, and then, again, some structural damage will happen. It'll be your fault for doing stupid training. Which yeah, is not I think
1: when I was, when, how old was I, 17? Um, I was doing squats uh, and trying to go lower than I probably could and got a pop in the front of my left hip. Yeah. I never, I've never really worked out what that was, but that probably was that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I don't know if it was a full tear because it never bruised or anything. But again, I went to a GP at that time. And at that time, I had a lot of respect for the medical world. And they said to rest for two weeks if it doesn't get better to come back and use anti-inflammatory medication. There you go. Um, I'm not speaking as medical advice, but if that was me now, I would not do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did it get better with the rest for two weeks?
1: Um, I mean, the rest for two weeks. No, was I lost. never. I never went back to squatting after that for years. Probably until mm. I came to the seminar to see you five, six years later. I mean, I did, okay. but never. It was never comfortable.
0: Right. Yeah. And so that could be one of two things, right? When you feel the pop, um, yeah, it could be the. I've seen people that tear their their groin um, and their uh, pyramidalis, and there's very little blood flow to that region, so it doesn't really heal all that well. Hmm. So you have to be kind of careful, which actually my paramedalis on my left side is torn because I didn't listen to doctors when I should have listened to doctors. Um because I had just gotten my screws out of my pubic area. Um and so they had it was basically like a it was a third C session type um surgery that had to be done in my lower abs. And they told me to rest and I was an asshole and didn't rest. And so now my piriformis, I don't have basically low abs on my left side whatsoever. So that's a fun now you know fact. Listen to the doctors sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is, that is also true. Um, but yeah, so that's you know again that that all comes down to making sure that we're gaining tension in the right muscle. So if you want to help your lower back find tension in your psoas major. Don't leverage it so you can get more tension. Just even if it's, <clears throat> excuse me, even if it's a small amount of tension, find and understand how to contract your psoas major, your glutes, your hamstrings. You're going to see that 99% of those issues are going to be gone. Obviously, there's structural damage as far as like herniations, bulging discs, things like that, that requires a little bit more extra care than when you start looking at how the transverse abdominus is working and everything else, right? So that would be the physical part, um, which then leads towards the mental part, which is, you know, there's, uh, I forgot who it is, but he says that all back pain is psychological. Um, and at, at some, to some effect it is, right? But it it is because it's a feedback loop. There's back pain because your body doesn't feel safe to move and you don't want to listen to it. You move incorrectly, your back hurts. So yeah, it is psychological, but the way to change that is by not saying, oh, it's it's all in your head, get over yourself. It's by teaching them to move correctly so that we can show that the body is safe to move, which will then give the feedback loop to the brain, which will then give it confidence to start performing everyday tasks.
1: Yeah, this is the thing. <clears throat> so if something is considered to have a psychological element, it does not mean that the solution has to be psychotherapy or like. psychological treatment. We were talking about this actually at the institute yesterday. In Germany, there's a branch of medicine, which is a true medical specialty called psychosomatic medicine. Yeah. In the US, there's a psychosomatic medical society, which is one of the longest standing societies in the US, but it gets really bad press because people don't like to be told that their condition is under the umbrella of psychosomatic. Right. It's the, the words people don't like to hear. Right. Um, particularly. I'm actually in... going to
0: have an assessment with one of them on August 19th. Cool. We'll have to have them on the podcast. Keep going. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's just interest, like the words that you use. So there are absolutely psychological elements to pain, back pain, potentially more so, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it doesn't mean that the, the therapy that you choose has to be psychological therapy and movement ayahuasca is a great example of that is that the therapy can be initially a physical movement practice
0: right yeah for sure i i I think we're going to start to see a big shift in in how psychology is is being ran i've you know what i mean like i feel like now you're starting to see a big blend of of methodologies and of of uh, specializations you know with like uberman coming out with so much stuff and yeah. you know jack cruz starting to get bigger and you know functional medicine starting to take a big effect because nobody trusts big pharma anymore
1: yeah. well even I my own though. field like so i work in immunopsychiatry so we see patients that have um chronic inflammation with psychiatric problems that aren't solved by conventional psychiatric medications Um, and even the work i'm directly doing we're trying to find biomarkers things that we can measure in the body in the blood in the brain that correspond to uh, mood and affective issues so once they become in use then i think hopefully the stigma of you have a psychological problem or drop in that. If you can measure it in the blood, then is it a psychological problem or is it just like, it's an ecosystem problem? It's a human problem right? we need human solutions for.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think we're moving in the right direction. I think well, that we are still... <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, but I think the rest of the world is starting to catch up. I yeah. mean, again, I think that the having the amount of communication of anxiety and depression and leading it more towards movement and exercise um, is starting to change a lot. And it's interesting because I, you know, I have great conversations with people and, and when they go talk to their doctors or they go talk to their specialists, because, you know, if I work with a crazy case, I want to make sure that the whole team is on board mm-hmm. um, and they're always on board with what I'm doing and they're excited to see the results. Um, you know, I sent you the message today about what one of the guys said with one of the clients that I'm working with. So mm-hmm. it, I think that the field is starting to become more and more open, um, especially as more and more information and, and knowledge is being put out there on the internet and you can just research so much stuff that you're interested in.
1: Exactly. So
0: when you don't see the, the results, that's when, you know, you start to look for other options.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's a, a, an important thing that Jack uh, Crew said to me on the podcast is that the change has to come from the patient or the client. Right. It can't come from within the system. So you're welcome to ask your doctor or whoever the questions, and they they can answer you to the best of your, their abilities. You don't have to just ask one. You can ask different ones. You can go to different fields. There's nothing to stop you doing that. Um, right. And I think that's the way that again it's the active approach as opposed to going to one person who gives you one solution and then you do what they tell you like that's that's passive if you agree with it and it makes sense to you then that's more active right because you've done your due diligence on oh yeah that makes sense um so yeah cool
0: i like it well we got through the physical and the mental i think emotional will come out well they
1: out. all kind of flow. yeah i mean um they're all interconnected. They're all connected and we're we're probably due a new webinar at some point too on emotional mapping.
0: Yeah. Have some cool to get, get some more people
1: pay pay. talking about it.
0: I dig it. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. Um what do we have coming up? I have a seminar in Iceland in October. I have a workshop this weekend. I don't know if I'm gonna have this out by this weekend And Netherlands I have movement ayahuasca in Australia but I think I only have like four spots left um, so if you're going to be in Australia November you know, hurry up and book it November um, we should set up some sort of August workshop in the UK I've been getting a lot of questions for
1: yeah you. definitely maybe we could I'll, I'll speak to my little farm yeah maybe we could host it there that'd be cool we could do something
0: oh that's true <coughs> let's make that happen that'd be great uh, and then, yeah yeah. If you guys want more information or if you would like to work with Dr. Adnay, send us a message. We're not that scary. We're very friendly, actually. Um, you can head over to com, fill out the questionnaire. I'm trying to get pretty books, so I'm going to start having a waiting list in the next three days because uh, I'm at capacity with one-on-one clients. It's a lot of work. Um,
1: I will say I'm at capacity with people messaging me if I can send them a paper on cholesterol and what to tell their doctors. cholesterol is a complex topic if you disagree with your doctor on something go and find another one yeah Uh, it's not up to me to convince you to convince your doctor
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) find a new doctor
1: yeah Uh, beautiful
0: all right guys thank you very much for listening we'll keep you guys posted we'll catch you guys in the next episode
1: see you everyone